Amen. What a message and song. Thank you, ladies, so much for sharing and Emily for singing. And there's just one contingency with you and Stephen heading out, and that is you've got to come back and sing for us uh, from time to time. Well, hey, boys and girls are dismissed for Children's Church. Everyone else, take out your Bible with me this morning and turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Go ahead and find your place there, and I'll ask you to stand with me in just a moment as we will read God's Word together. Acts chapter 1. Wow, can you believe it that this year is marking the fourth annual missions conference for our church? How many of you, I want to see who are the veterans in the room, how many of you have been to every single missions conference at Catawba Valley Baptist Church already? Can I see your hand? You've made it to all three, now four, all right. How many of you, this is your very first missions conference with our church family? Can I see your hand? How many of you, very first, very first, hold them up, hold them up, hold them up, hold them up real high, first timers, all right, everybody look around, do you see all these hands? That's good. And because that's showing the, the life and growth of our church, and, and yet it's also showing us that you've been faithful to be here for four, all right? And so this year, we're excited about what God is going to do in the life of our church. And man, can I just tell you, when you think about the work of world missions, and you think about what God is doing across the globe, it is one of those things that when Jesus tells his disciples to lift up your eyes and look out on the harvest, the fields are white, all ready to harvest, that is true. That is true. And you don't have to go across the globe to find that that is the reality. I, I was sharing with Dylan this past week. It's so good to see Dylan here and Erica. and uh, Not Erica, but Dylan's here this morning. And Erica's home with baby Clay. And, uh, but Dylan was telling me about his new job in, in the hospital as a, as a chaplain. He left the hospital. Now he's working in a corporate chaplaincy of American uh, role. I'm butchering all of that. But Dylan has a great new job. And, and part of his role in this place is sharing the gospel. And just this past week, he told me about a guy he had the chance to lead the Lord. And, and people are coming to Christ here and around the world, and that is the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ that is going forward uh, around the world. And you know, as I thought about why our church began a missions conference, it was the fall of the summer, spring, that Richard and I had the chance to go to Uganda together. And I'll never forget when I was in Uganda and seeing the situation that many people are in. You know, I think oftentimes when we go to a poverty-stricken third world place, we're, we're often reminded of, of people that are in desperate need of help, right? We think about this, just the things in our life in America that, that look so vastly different from, from their daily experience and from their livelihood. And yet, what, what, I, what struck me was, was not so much the poverty as although I knew I would see that and I would... Uh, see the devastation of that. I think the greatest thing that I left Uganda with and I came back into the States was a burden, a deeper burden to want to see the gospel of Jesus Christ go to places just like that. Because you can walk into a village in Uganda and you can see how real and how tangible the gospel has become that there are families and, and villages, that their whole lives have been changed. They have wells and water and, and houses and homes and schools. And, and, and in a part of society, I remember one day we went to a deaf school, and I can remember being in that region of the world where deaf children are often just completely discarded, even by their own family. 
because there's not resource, there's not help, and, and, it, and, it, and it, it seems like this incredible liability to a family, and it just, it, it astonishes me that families would, would literally put their own children away because of a, of a challenge like deafness. And yet I remember being in that school with, like, it felt like a hundred children, and it's because of the work of the gospel. It's because of what the gospel is doing and how the gospel has burdened others and given hope to some and, and that those now are wanting to take that same message, that same hope, that same good news to those young kids. And I remember just seeing that and, and feeling like I remember driving home on the bus ride back home and I, I sat in the front row of the bus and everybody's talking and having fun and and for me, I, I can't get out of my mind what I've seen and what I've experienced and feeling that incredible burden. And so this week, you know, we're not on a, 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 another continent. We're not in another place. And I'm sure those of you, how many of you have ever had a chance to go on a mission trip to a different part of the world? Can I see your hand? How many of you? Okay, how many of you in going to another part of the world, you came back to America with a greater burden? Can I see your hand? How many of you experienced that? Well, well, I want as much as we can this week to, to experience that together, that, that through hearing from our mission staff, through seeing what they're seeing, that, that this week, God by his spirit might burden your heart in a deeper way to make a greater impact for world missions. You've opened your Bible there to Acts 1, and and, and, and this morning, we're going to consider really kind of the theme of our conference this year, and that is his plan, our purpose. When you open your Bible there to Acts 1, what do you discover? You, you discover an, a church that is being birthed on the day of Pentecost, that these are the followers of Christ, and now this is after Jesus has died and ascended back to his Father, and we're going to see a picture of a glimpse of the very, very first earliest church and what I want you to see about this church is that this church was a group who was made for missions. John Piper, in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, he says it this way, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church, but worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. It, 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 it's the verses that we read at the beginning of our service this morning when the psalmist says, let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise praise you. And so the church of Jesus Christ is a group, right? It's this group, this, as Eric shared in our scripture reading, it's not just a denomination. A denomination doesn't have the corner of the market on the gospel. The gospel is the good news of salvation. It's the power of God. And what do we discover as we look at that gospel, God's gospel, what do we discover? We discover that the gospel of Jesus Christ changes lives, and I wonder this morning, has it changed your life? Has it transformed your life? Because the gospel is the power of God to salvation. You see, the church can't imagine a place where there are people that are, that are not experienced what you and I have experienced. Like, for those of us in this room that have truly entered into salvation and have experienced the good news of Jesus Christ, there is something that you have experienced. You've experienced forgiveness for your sin and hope and purpose in the presence of God and the power of God in your life. 
and you, you've experienced the promises that he's given, that he's been faithful in. And I'm telling you, you you've experienced that on such a deep level. You, the, the Church of Jesus Christ is a place that, that cannot help but want other people to experience that as well. I love what Renard, uh, Reverend John Stott said. He said, we must be global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God. We must be global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God. That's the vision that drove the Apostle Paul. When you think about Paul, one of, the, one of the greatest missionaries that has ever lived, and you think about what Paul said in his letter to the church in Rome, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to who? To who? To everyone. That the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it's for everyone. It's for everyone. Making God famous is what drove the Apostle Paul. It's what, it was the energy for the local church. So when you open your Bible and we begin to read the story as Luke unfolds for us in the book of Acts, as he talks about what happened in that early church after Jesus died and was buried and rose again and he ascended back to his father, what happened? What, what, what happened in the church? What happened in the lives of those 12 or 11 men and, and then the other followers of Jesus who had been so gripped by what they had seen and heard? What happens in the church? We see that here unfolding in the book of Acts. That is, it is a global gospel and it is driving people to be the people that God wants them to be. You see, Missions Conference brings us back to the center of our church. It brings us back into the mission and the identity of who we are as a people. Listen to me. I, I don't know where you've come from or your church experience, but, but here at Catawba, missions is not a superfluous side thing. It's, it's not something that we add on as a missions program as in, in order to be an effective church that we're somehow going to also do missions. Missions is central to what it means to be a follower of Christ. Like, missions is, is at the heart of our church. It's, as Stephen told you, our car got totaled the other week. And, and Jessica and I have been looking for a vehicle. And like, I'm just telling you, not all parts on the vehicle are, are, are equal, right? Like, some of us, you know, the sunroof is a little less important than the tires, right? Like, you, but, but what, what is the thing that you most want to have in a good working vehicle? Brakes. <laughs> Somebody's had problems. All right. Uh, what, what's 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 important part? Brakes. What else? The thing's not going to get anywhere as a vehicle if it doesn't have at least what? Well, an engine and tires and all these other things. But missions is the engine of a church. It's what drives a church. It's what carries it forward. And as you look at the lives of these disciples in the book of Acts, these were people who understood that God had made the church and he had transformed the church for missions. And so you have your Bible open there, Acts 1. Would you stand with me this morning as we will read it? We will read it. Acts 1, beginning in verse 1, follow with me. Luke writes, he says, in the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. 
And after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented him alive to them after his sufferings and by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about, what was Jesus speaking about? Tell me. Say, say it louder. He was speaking about what? The kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with what? With the Holy Spirit many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? The kingdom to Israel. And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Father, we pray this morning that you would impress your call, the gospel call, deep into our hearts. We pray that, Lord, we would think about our own life and, our, and the thing that you have given us to steward for your glory. And, Lord, may you give us an obedience to obey what it is you have called us to do. Lord, we know you're faithful and we know that you are with us. And so in all of those things, we, we say amen. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. All God's people said Amen. You can be seated. You see, missions brings us back to the, the, the core of who we are as a people. It, it brings us back to the center of who we are as a church. How many of you can say our mission statement with me? Can you say it with me this morning? That we, we glorify God by developing disciples who love God, love people, and influence the world with the hope of the gospel. Some of you would get in D on that if we took a test this morning. Uh, if you have a bulletin that's on the very backhand side, there you can read it. But I hope that more than just reading it, you think about what this means for us as a church. This is, this is our mission of, of, of what we believe that God has called us to do. Can you say it with me now? There you see it. We glorify God by developing disciples who love God, love people, and influence the world with the hope of the gospel. You see, missions is central to what it means to be a follower of Christ. It's central in the DNA of who we are as a church. That, that, in, that in an effort to glorify God by developing disciples, that those disciples are people who love God and love people, and, and they influence the what? They influence the what? The world. They influence the world with the hope of the gospel. And notice, notice how we see this unpacking in verse 8 of Acts 1-8. You see, the book of Acts is a story of grace. It's a story about God's grace coming into this world in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And through Jesus' death and through his resurrection and through his ascension, of all that that means for us, all that that means in light of our salvation, 
That now the book of Acts is just this flood of God's grace as God's grace spills out into the lives of so many people beginning in Jerusalem and then into Judea and Samaria and ultimately as the gospel reaches into the ends of the earth. Jesus began his ministry. You realize when the Lord Jesus Christ began his ministry in Mark chapter 1, we're told what Jesus said. He said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the what? Someone know? What are we to repent and to believe in? The gospel. The gospel. Jesus said, hey, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What what does the word gospel mean? It's the good news. It's the good news of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. It's the good news that sinful people can be made right with a holy God. And notice, what do we discover here? As Jesus begins his ministry, he's proclaiming the kingdom of God. Now remember, in the life of being one of Jesus' disciples, I just want you to picture and put yourself in their place. Picture that you're one of those 11 or 12 guys as they're following Jesus and and they've given up everything to follow him and Jesus has called them and he has appointed them. He says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And so Jesus comes and he calls these 12 men and he has a very specific purpose. He comes proclaiming the kingdom of God and now he wants them to do the same. But now I want you to think about what's happening in the lives of these men. Now Jesus has died. What an earth-shattering blow to their hope. What an earth-shattering blow. You remember Peter? He's so discouraged. He says, guys, guess what? I'm going, going fishing. thought about that yesterday as I was floating down the river with three guys in our church. But Peter wasn't just out on a little fishing excursion. What Peter said when he told the guys he's going fishing, he was saying, I'm giving up on who Jesus is. I'm going back into the life and the lifestyle that I know. But remember, Jesus came back and he showed himself to those men. And wow, how that moment must have changed their life. That he had died, but he had come back. He had risen from the dead. And now the question they're asking is in verse 6. Look in verse 6. This is the question they want answered. Lord, Lord, at this time, will you restore the kingdom, right? Because Jesus had come to proclaim the kingdom of God. All of his ministry and as Jesus taught people was centered around the coming kingdom of God. He said that the kingdom of God is like, is like a mustard seed. Jesus said the kingdom of God is, is like the pearl of great price. It's like a treasure hidden in a field. And then all these parables, the disciples had lived and, and witnessed and heard Jesus preach about this kingdom. And now he dies and he's come back to life. And, and the disciples are all pumped up. They're all excited, right? Because they're saying in verse 6, Lord, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, at this point in the life for those men, they, they were still thinking as a kingdom in terms of political power and military might. The Jewish nation had been occupied by the Roman government at this point for decades. And these 
men were looking for Jesus to be the liberator. They were looking for Jesus to overthrow the Roman government, that he would be somebody who would now restore the kingdom. And that's what they were still waiting for. That's what they were still all about. But notice what Jesus tells them. He says to them in verse 7, he he says, it's not for you to know the times and the season that the Father is fixed by his own authority. What Jesus is saying, he says, hey guys, I'm not, I'm not going to get into all that, about the when and the how. And He says, but let me tell you about another kingdom. Let me tell you about something else that you're going to receive. And notice what we find there in verse 8. That Jesus responds to their question and he gives them three very simple things. Three very simple things that he wants his church to to understand. And the first is this. Notice, what does he tell them at the beginning of verse 8? He gives them a very simple promise. He says, but you will. You see, Jesus is saying, I'm not going to tell you about all that, but you will. They will what? What will they do? They will receive. Now, what are they going to receive? That sounds like a good word to be a disciple. (laughs) Jesus is going to bring power. Power is what we need. We need to overthrow the government. We need to to make these political things happen. Jesus, we need power. I'm, I'm sure they were like right on the edge of saying, this sounds great. And then he says, but you will receive power when what happens? When the Holy Spirit comes. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes, the promise that they were given is that the Spirit of God would come. And they weren't going to receive power in the sense that they were going to now have this political dominance or military conquest, but it was this supernatural power they were going to receive. And they were going to receive it from whom? Where does this power come from? Someone tell me. The Holy Spirit. It's the supernatural power of God filling them and indwelling them. And Jesus is saying, this is a promise that I'm giving to you. Can you think with me just a moment at the wonder of that promise? That God himself indwelling in us. God himself transforming us. God's power at work in my life. And he gives them this promise This very simple promise. And what do they discover? They discovered that that they needed that. Do you realize, my friend, that you and I cannot live the Christian life apart from the presence and power of the Spirit of God? You realize those, those fruit, the fruit of the Spirit that you find in the Bible is not something that you can accomplish? It's not something that you can do? But the fruit of the Spirit is the transforming work by the Spirit of God in and through the life of the believer. And so what is Jesus telling them? He's giving them this very simple promise. By nature, Jesus giving us that promise. I want you to think about something this morning. I know this is a dangerous thing to do at 1130, but I need you to do it. I want you to think of the most delicious thing you have ever eaten. Not what's coming at lunch today, but the most delicious thing. All right? I want you to center your thought right on the most delicious thing you've ever eaten. And then I want you to turn to your neighbor. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. Turn to them and not just tell them, but describe for them. 
that thing. Can you do that on your mark? Get set. Go. Go. Most delicious thing. All right, let me ask you, who's hungry? Who's hungry? All right, most delicious thing you've ever eaten. You know, I, I think about for my life, the most delicious thing I've ever eaten, and that is hard. But I would tell you that probably the best thing I've ever had is a deluxe sushi roll. And I've shared this for you before. The roll was called Sin City, so you can just imagine how terrible of a roll it is, but but it was so delicious and delectable and had all those little things that just exploded in your mouth and it was just, it was just amazing. Now, I want you to think about that for a second because, because each of us in this room have experienced something. Our taste buds have experienced it. We've tasted. The Bible says to taste and see that the Lord is good. Notice Jesus in this passage is reminding the disciples of three things. First, he reminds them of a very simple promise. The Holy Spirit of God would come and he would indwell them. But secondly, notice what is this other thing? Jesus gives them a very simple prediction. He says, and you will be my witnesses. Jesus is giving a a, a future tense description of what is gonna happen in their life. Now, there's different ways of translating this. Some, some people would look at this and translate it as a fact. Jesus is just making a prediction of what is going to happen in their life. And others have translated it more as a commandment, that, that you will be my witnesses. But when you look at this sentence flow and all that Jesus is describing for them, I don't believe that this has anything to do with a command as if Jesus is telling them that now you will be my witnesses as much as Jesus is telling them just a reality of what is going to happen in their life, that the Holy Spirit of God would come and he would fill their life and that because of that, they will be his witnesses. They will have experienced something and now Jesus predicts what's going to happen. See, here's the thing. You couldn't describe for somebody else the best thing that you had ever tasted if you hadn't in first actually tasted it. Unless you had the experience, you would never be able to describe it for somebody else. And Jesus is telling us the very same thing about, excuse me, about what it means to make disciples and to be his witnesses. Jesus says you won't be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ if you have first and foremost not been filled with the Spirit of God. Do you see that there? Jesus is telling them that the Holy Spirit coming, his coming is what is the prediction for what will happen in their life. Now, I want you to think about what Jesus is saying here because it seems so, so challenging. Jesus had died and now he's come back to life. And he's telling them that he wants them to be involved in this mission of being witnesses. And where is Jesus going? Someone tell me, where is Jesus going to go in a few verses? (laughs) Where is he going to go? Someone tell me. He's going back to heaven. Why? Why? I mean, I mean, why? 
Wouldn't it make so much more sense if Jesus was just with us? I mean, isn't that what the disciples are thinking? Isn't that, isn't that what they're saying? Lord, Lord, wait, wait, what did he just say? I mean, come on, who's better preaching about Jesus than Jesus himself, <laughs> right? I mean, as the disciples think about this, they say, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait, wh- wh- why does this happen? Why, why is Jesus gonna ascend back to heaven? Why, why doesn't Jesus disappear in every place and every time and, and, and explain who he is? Why, why, why is he going back? Do you know why? Well, because he was going to complete sit down and reign but but because Jesus had something better what could possibly be better than Jesus going the Holy Spirit coming and in coming he would indwell the lives of his followers you see the amazing message of the gospel is that God takes People like you and I, messed up, sinful, broken people, arrogant people, rude people, discouraged people, people whose lives seem to be so torn up and spun up. And He gives us grace. He gives us grace. And he saved you. And he saved you for a purpose. My friend, Jesus Christ in saving you, saved you for a purpose. So that his love, his light, his goodness, his love, his peace, his gentleness, his loving kindness might transform your life so that you might be his agent of reflecting his love onto someone else. So now, all around this globe this morning, on every continent, are people whose lives have been radically transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ. How many of you have ever had somebody love you the most selfless, profound way, and it just, when they loved you, the way that they loved you, it just cut you to the heart? How, how, many, how many of you experienced the love so deep like that? Well, that's a love that only can come through the Lord Jesus Christ. And experiencing the love of someone else reflects us back onto the source of love himself. And so what do we discover? Jesus gives a promise that the Spirit of God would come. He gives them the prediction that they would be his witnesses and they were simply going to tell what they had seen and heard. Here's the problem. You know why the evangelical church today has so limited evangelism? It's not because people don't have methods or processes or strategies about how to reach people for Christ. The greatest problem in the American church today is because people, the church of God, are not filled with the Spirit. If the church of Jesus Christ was filled with the Spirit and experiencing His supernatural filling every day of their life, it would be so impactful to this lost and dying world. You wouldn't contain it. You would simply share it. Because just like that piece of food that, man, so touched your lips and and changed your palate and everything in that moment in the same way, and you can describe it for somebody else, The same ought to be true of your born-again experience. 
The day that you trusted Christ, the day that his, his gospel and his truth penetrated into your light, life and it set you free. Man, that moment means something. It means something. And if you're filled with the Spirit, you'll be a witness for Christ. You know why people don't share the gospel? What do you, what do you think are some reasons why people don't share the gospel? They're afraid or what? Well, they just don't know how. You know what? Look in Acts 1. That's exactly where the disciples were. Where are they at? They're hiding in an upper room. They're afraid. They're timid. They're unsure of what all this means. But when, when the Spirit of God comes and the Spirit of God falls, their lives are changed. You watch Peter and John before the Sanhedrin. And you look at their life and you say, what boldness. You're like those religious leaders. You're looking at them and you're saying, my, my, what changed? What changed in their life? Someone tell me. The Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God. That's what changes our life. And so this morning, you might be here and you're, in a sense, you would say, I'm failing in the purpose of what God has created me for. Do you realize this morning that God has saved us for a purpose? And that's why this conference will be thinking about what is his plan and what is our purpose. And as we think about that, it's important that we understand finally the very last thing. Jesus gives them a very simple pursuit. He says in verse 8, notice this is Jesus' strategy for mass evangelism. What does he say? He says, you'll be my witnesses. And where will that happen? In Jerusalem in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You know, Jesus here is not giving us necessarily a strategy for world missions as much as he is just giving us the reality of what is soon going to take place in the life of these disciples. You know, sometimes we look at this verse and we think about our concentric circles and we say, well, this is my Jerusalem and this is my Judea and this is the ends of the earth and so I've got to be involved in that. I don't think Jesus was going at that direction as much as Jesus was just saying, this is the reality of what's going to happen in the church. That, that when you receive the Holy Spirit of God and power falls and begins to transform your life, your life is going to impact people in this city and outside of this city and ultimately around the world and you read the book of Acts and you come to the very end of the conclusion of the book of Acts and you realize what Jesus predicted happened the gospel infected and then spread to all of jerusalem and that the whole city was turned upside down you you discover that the gospel goes to judea and samaria to a woman at the well who seems the least likely to experience the gospel. And you think about the story with Cornelius and, and all these things that are happening and, and then you get to the very end of the story and paul's making an ambition to take the gospel around the world. Because that's just what happens when God's people obey what Jesus has commanded. You know, the commandment is not in verse 8. It's in verse 4. Look there with me as we close this morning. Jesus ordered them to wait. Notice, to wait. That's what they were commanded to do in that moment, to wait for the promise of the Father. And Jesus fulfilled his promise. And the Spirit of God did fall and fill them and change them. 
So I ask you a question this morning. Is the Holy Spirit of God at work in your life? Do you see and sense and experience a supernatural power of God? Because that's a direct result to the followers of Christ who truly experience Him. Their lives are changed. And the book of Acts bears that out. So Paul ends as he finishes the book of Romans. He says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. So I ask you a question. How is the Spirit of God at work in your life And what are the commands that the Spirit of God has given you as a follower of Christ and you're simply failing to obey what He has commanded? I mean, you read the commandments of God. And what might it look like? What might it look like in the life of Catawba Valley Baptist Church in 2022 where a group of disciples understood God's plan and their purpose? And what might it look like in your life and in this semester and this season to dial in on God's commandments for your life and to obey them in whatever he asks? So I'm asking this morning that as we consider our own life, we'd ask a couple questions. First, am I experiencing the supernatural power of God in my life through the indwelling spirit of God? Because if not, my friend, I I think you might have deceived yourself into believing what you've experienced, but it's not really happened. Maybe you think you've been born again, but, but the Spirit of God's never changed your life. You're missing out on His plan and purpose for you. But secondly, would you be willing to honestly ask God to show you what His Word has sent? And how the Holy Spirit of God impresses those truths on your heart this week in missions conference. And what would that mean for you? For some in this room, it might mean going. Others, it might mean to give something. To someone else, it might mean simple obedience to share the gospel to your coworker or to your neighbor. But my friend, when we experience the supernatural work of God, We are his witnesses, and it'll happen around the world. And this church today is evidence of that. The gospel made its way from Jerusalem all the way to the backwoods of Catawba Valley. And now we're taking that same gospel, and we're we're taking it to other countries. We're taking it to Togo and to the United Kingdom. We're taking it right across the street in Roanoke to families that desperately need the gospel. But I wonder, will you join God in his mission? Will you join God in what he wants to do to see his gospel furthered around the world? That is his plan. But have you made it your purpose? Would you pray with me? Father, we're thankful for Jesus. We're thankful that he came that he lived, that he died, that he rose again, that he ascended back to the Father, that he makes intercession for us. 
And Father, we're thankful that you sent your spirit to dwell in your church. And your spirit convicts us of truth and of righteousness. Lord, I'm not able to understand how you're working in this moment, although by faith, Lord, I believe that you are. And I pray that, Lord, as as a church, that we would open-handedly just open up our hands and say, Lord, what you want to do in our lives this week in Missions Conference, we are willing to hear it and willing to obey it. And Lord, we believe that you're going to do incredible things this coming year in this city, in our country, across the globe. Not because of us or Catawba Valley, but because of the gospel. Because of that promise that your gospel is going to go into the ends of the earth. And Lord, we want to join you in your mission. We want to join you in your purpose of seeking and saving those that are lost. So Lord, Help us this week. Give us fresh eyes, fresh uh, sight to see the harvest. And Lord, give us your grace as we take steps in this as a church this week. We just thank you and praise you in the mighty name of Jesus. All God's people said, amen. Amen. Would you just stay there in your seat, bow your head before the Lord and invite you just to think about how God spoke to you through his word this morning. What does obedience mean in your life today? What does it straightforwardly look like in your life to obey the Lord today and what he's placed on your heart? Father, we recognize that this is your church, that we are the sheep of your fold, and we pray that you would surround us with the assurance of your promises, that, that Lord, what you call us to do, that you're faithful to be with us in it. And when we feel lacking, we feel like we don't have the words to say, we feel like uh, we're falling short, Lord, remind us that you're a God of grace. And that's what this whole book of Acts and this message that transforms the world is all about. It's all about your grace. And so we praise you and thank you this morning for what you've done in our hearts this morning. We ask it all in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen.